Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes. One can make the analogy that if human society is a kebab, the economy is the stick that connects the development of the various aspects of human society. Economics holds a very critical position in our life. Everything involves economic knowledge. From the perspective of the global economy, such examples include how the national economy develops and how the 2008 economic crisis occurred. From the perspective of our personal daily lives, such examples include whether or not we choose to save or spend money, and how rising and falling prices affect us. If only a few obscure definitions pop up in your mind when you think of economics, then this book is just right for you. Today, through the stories in this book, you will understand the answers to the questions mentioned previously. The book starts with a story of a few people fishing on an island. Fishing is a basic and simple economic activity that everyone understands. As the story unfolds, islanders start to weave nets, make deposits, borrow money, and make investments. While telling the story, this book explains the economic principles behind these economic activities. It also reveals to the reader how the entire U.S. economic system works, as the story on the island serves as a metaphor. For example, the island in the story later named the Republic of Usonia corresponds to the United States. Fish correspond to the hard currency in real life, such as gold. Fish reserve notes correspond to the U.S. dollar. And fishing nets correspond to production equipment or capital. The author of the book How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes is an advocate of the Austrian School of Economics. Using a fable set on an island, this book interprets and criticizes the Keynesian economic policies enacted by the U.S. government. Peter D. Schiff is a famous American economist and advocate of the Austrian School of Economic Thought. He is currently president of Euro-Pacific Capital. As he accurately predicted the 2008 economic crisis, Schiff is known as a seasoned Wall Street prognosticator. His views are often quoted by major news outlets. Apart from this book, Schiff is also the author of bestsellers Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse, and The Little Book of Bull Moves in Bear Markets, How to Keep Your Portfolio Up When the Market is Down which have been translated into many languages and published in many countries. Peter Schiff's brother Andrew J. Schiff co-authored this book. Andrew is a senior media and market consultant in the financial services industry. He is currently responsible for communication and media management for Euro-Pacific Capital. Next, through the story in the book, we will answer the following three questions. First, what is the root cause of economic growth? Second, should we spend or save money if we want the economy to get better? Third, which is better, inflation or deflation? These three questions are not only the focus of the Austrian school, but also closely relate to our lives. First of all, let's look at the first question, what is the root cause of economic growth? Before answering this question, let's talk about what the economy is. As the book says, the simplest definition of economy is the effort to maximize the availability of limited resources to meet as many human demands as possible. How should we understand these words? 
We know that every resource on earth is limited, while human demands are endless. Therefore, we must find better production methods to maximize the benefits of limited resources and meet human demands as much as possible. Now that we know the author's definition of economy, let's talk about what promotes economic growth. The author tells a story. Once upon a time, there were a few people who lived on a tropical island. The people's lives were rough. They had nothing to eat except fish. Furthermore, the place was very isolated. People had neither advanced fishing technology nor fishing tools. Every morning when people woke up, the best they could do was jump into the water and grab fish with their bare hands. As this fishing technique was inefficient, each person on the island could only catch one fish per day. This catch could only feed one person per day, and thus had to continue fishing the very next day. Every day, people would wake up, fish, eat, then sleep in order to survive. The people had no savings, because there was no extra fish to lend. There was no investment, because all the fish caught were consumed. Therefore, there was no extra productivity and the island's economy did not grow. However, a guy named Abel was not happy with such a hard and boring life. As such, he pondered on how to improve the efficiency of the island's fishing technique. In the end, on an empty stomach, he decided to spend the day making a fishing net. With this fishing net, he could catch two fish a day. Since then, his productivity doubled. As Abel could provide two days of fish with only one day of fishing, he could find time to do other things. For example, he wanted to make some better-looking palm leaf clothes and build a hut to shelter himself from the wind and sun. He even wanted to direct feature films. Abel's thought and action stimulated the economic development of the island. In fact, there are many examples of economic development brought about by the gains in productivity. For example, compared with China, the United States has a smaller agricultural population but has more arable land. This is mainly due to the high level of agricultural mechanization and advanced agricultural technology in the United States. Automated agricultural production saves a lot on manpower. Americans who would have been farmers can engage in other pursuits. With the increase in productivity, more fish were caught. As there was now excessive fish on the island, the islanders could eat more fish than before. Eating more fish is an increase in consumption. However, before we talk about consumption, we first need to understand the author's point of view. We know that there are many economic schools of thought. The author of this book is a supporter of the Austrian School of Economics, which advocates economic liberalism. The Austrians argue that the government should allow free markets and not interfere in the economy. The spontaneous order of the social environment will create the most favorable environment for economic development. On the other hand, the author is an opponent of Keynesianism. It is an economic theory very popular with the U.S. government. The Keynesians are not so confident in the market. They advocate that the government should intervene in the economy. The Keynesians believe that consumption can promote economic growth. Therefore, they argue that the government should formulate rules to reward people who spend money and punish people who save money. In the Keynesians' view, as saving hinders the circulation of money, it is not conducive to economic development. Though from the perspective of the Austrian School of Economics, can the increase in consumption promote economic growth? The author is skeptical. 
The book gives an example. The air we breathe has always been there and is not produced by anyone. One day someone starts selling air, and you spend $1 million to buy it. As a result, the GDP increases by $1 million. But what does this actually mean? The money spent did not create any value, nor did the economy actually grow. The author argues that when the financial crisis broke out in 2008, politicians and economists instinctively attempted to get people to spend more and save less. However, it turned out to be counterproductive. There is no point in spending for its own sake. It is like spending $1 million on air. For years, Americans have spent more than they have earned, borrowing money for consumption. In a contained economy such as the island economy, this would simply be impossible. However, in the modern world, the US dollar flows all over the world as an international currency. It seems as if any problem can be solved simply by printing money. This has led the American people to fail in recognizing a simple truth. That is we cannot consume more than we produce or borrow more than we save. At least, this is not sustainable for the long run. Therefore, the author believes that to stimulate economic growth, we cannot rely on consumption, but on production, because production creates value. There is nothing to consume unless something is produced. Perhaps you will ask, why does the US government still adhere to Keynesianism? Or to put it another way, why do the Keynesians think consumption can promote economic growth? After all, these people are also economists. They must have a reason. This brings us to the Federal Reserve. For nearly 100 years, the Federal Reserve has set the benchmark interest rate in the United States. When the Fed raises or lowers the base interest rate, banks raise or lower loan rates accordingly. As a result, the entire market goes up or down. By setting the base interest rate, the Fed keeps the economy running smoothly in good and bad times. However, the book says that this system has two major flaws, First, the Fed has no skin in the game. As the Fed is not involved in economic activity, it is not affected by interest rates like the people in the market. The Fed may not know better than the people in the market what interest rate level is suitable. Therefore, it may not be able to make the right decision. Second, the Fed makes decisions from a political rather than an economic perspective. When interest rates are low, more enterprises and individuals are willing to borrow. Consequently, the formerly sluggish economy is stimulated, and the economy looks better on the surface. Presidents seeking re-election like to advocate for low interest rates, and will press the Fed to reduce interest rates. The Fed also wants to be seen as a rescuer of the economy, rather than a miser who pushes the economy into a recession. As a result, there is a bias towards low interest rates. However, in fact, the prosperity brought by low interest rates is a false prosperity. A big crisis is likely to emerge afterward. When the financial crisis broke out in 2008, in order to stabilize the economy, the US government and economists made every effort to let consumers spend more and save less. As a result, everyone increased borrowing and invested their savings in assets, which contributed to the continuous expansion of the US housing bubble. Moreover, rates that were too low sent false signals to the market. People believed the economy was healthy, and that it was a good time to invest. However, when monetary policies were increasingly tightened, 
the housing bubble began to burst. Borrowers with low credit ratings defaulted first. Then, the default frenzy began to sweep through financial institutions. Alright, that is it for part 1. We have learned that the simplest definition of economy is the effort to maximize the availability of limited resources to meet as many human demands as possible. The author is a supporter of the Austrian School of Economics. He believes that consumption does not create value, and production is the root cause of economic growth. The U.S. government's policies to stimulate consumption often have political aims. These policies bring about negative effects, leading to false prosperity. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.